got your Bibles, you got your Bibles, let's turn to Genesis chapter 9, Genesis chapter 9, and we'll be in verses 8 through 17, Genesis chapter 9, verses 8 through 17, the title of our lesson this morning is The Rainbow, The Rainbow. I, I want to begin this morning with a question, how many of you um, have ever gone through a, a traumatic and I mean, by traumatic, I mean it could be a, a bad car wreck, it could be the, uh, the sudden loss of a loved one, it could be maybe a crime, uh, maybe you know, somebody robbed your house, maybe it could be a, 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 di- a health diagnosis that, that kids, that all of the above, okay? Um, the, the fact is, if you've ever gone through a... See, I, I think most of us in life, we live under illusions, don't you think so? I mean, for, let me give you an example. We know that you can get in your car today and have a car wreck and die. We, we know that's a possibility. It happens all over the place every single day. Yet, I would say that most of us will get in our car today and it won't even enter our mind that I might die before I get home. We basically live our life under an illusion that those things happen to other people, but it'll never happen to me, right? I mean, would you agree with that? I, I know I do. But what happens is, after you've had a traumatic event happen to you, the illusion, the, the bubble's kind of busted, right? There is no illusion uh, anymore. Now, you know, not only could it happen, now it has happened. And, and so the illusion is, is, kind of, is kind of gone. And, and what happens to most people, I think, at least it did with me, is that after you've gone through this event, you'll struggle with anxiety you'll struggle with worry because, listen, it's already happened one time. Who's to say it ain't going to happen again? I mean, if you've ever had a car wreck, the next time you get in a car, it's different. You've had a bad car wreck. I mean, now you know that guy can pull out in front of you, right, like the other guy did, right? And so you kind of struggle with this about whether it would happen again. In fact, uh, studies tell us that most people not only worry that it might happen again, you even go through periods of time where you expect it to happen. If you ever had a health scare, now every... Every little bump or every little fever is a, oh my God, you know, I'm, I'm dying, right? I mean, you almost expect it, it to happen. Uh, and, and let's be honest, we live in a world where there's no guarantee that it won't. I mean, life is just full of un- uncertainty. That's, that's what life is all about. And, but, but here's the thing. There is, if you've gone through traumatic events, there's no guarantee that it won't happen again or another traumatic event won't happen. But there is a traumatic event that's coming in the future, that is an absolute certainty. And, and, and we need to be certain about how that traumatic event is going to affect us. And of course, the event that I'm talking about is God's final uh, judgment. You know, a lot of people, we, as we go through life, we, we have these thoughts. You know, is, is God going to judge me for my sins? Should I, should I live in fear of God's judgment? And it's crucial that every single person alive answer those questions, but answer them in the right way. And when I say answer them in the right way, is I mean you have to answer them according to the, to the truth of God's Word. You see, there are a lot of people out there today who should be living in terror of God's judgment, and yet they get up every day and they live their life like it's never going to happen to me. Yes or no? I mean, they should fear God's judgment, but they don't. 
On the other side of the coin, is as I've lived my life, I run into people who actually live in fear of judgment, and they really shouldn't. That, that they are Christians, they are saved, they, they have been delivered from the wrath of God, but yet sometimes they still struggle with wondering about how God is going is to judge me. And, and it's this second group of people that need assurance. They need assurance from God that their sins have been forgiven. Not only their past sins, but their future sins are also under the blood of Jesus. And they're not in any danger from His, from His wrath. Now, I say all that because for just a moment I want you to think about Noah. There's probably not anyone who's ever lived who needs assurance more than this guy. Now, think about it for just a second. Why would I say that? There's probably not a a man that's lived on this planet who needs assurance from God more than than Noah and and his family. Now, why would that be? Well, think about it this way. If somebody walked up to you today and say, Hey, what do you think about rain? Well, you and I might say, Well, you know, we've been having a good bit, a little bit too much of it lately. Or you may say, We're not having enough. Or... Or, you know, we've all got our opinions about rain and, and whether we're getting too much, whether we're getting too little. Some of us like it, some of us don't like it. But the fact is, we're kind of used to the ebb and flow, right? We, we know sometimes you get too much, sometimes we get a bit too little. So you would get all these opinions, but I can guarantee you our opinion wouldn't be anything like Noah. In fact, I, I believe if you had gone up to Noah after he got off the ark and said, what do you think about rain? it would have probably made chills run up his spine. Because see, to, to, to Noah, rain means death. Rain means judgment. Rain means wrath. Rain means bad stuff. So to him, asking him what he thinks about rain would have been incredibly different from what he asked uh, what, what we would think about rain. You see, Noah has just come through a devastating, traumatic experience. He has seen the whole earth wiped out. I mean, imagine for just a moment what it felt like to walk off that ark and you're the last surviving people on the planet. You know, you used to go over to the neighbor's house. They're not there anymore. The people that you used to do business with, they're not there anymore. The aunts and uncles that that lived a couple counties over, they're not there anymore. They're all gone. It's just just you. All been wiped out by rain. All been wiped out by the judgment of of God. So imagine for just a moment, and I talked about this why I started out this way, if we've ever gone through a traumatic event, we we think about what happens the next time we get in a car or the next time we, we lock our door at night or whatever the case may be. Imagine what Noah felt when he saw storm clouds coming. Imagine what Noah might have felt when he felt those first drops of rain begin to fall. It would have made their stomach churn. I mean, after all, rain had just killed a bunch of people. Who's to say it ain't going to happen again? In fact, I I can almost bet that knowing them would have had questions. What if this rain doesn't stop? Should should we even build a house? Should we we plant crops? Should we try to make a life for ourselves? God's already wiped everything out one time. Is He going to do it again? After all, we're sinners just like those people. I'm going to make mistakes. How do I know... This rain, this next rain that comes is not going to wipe me out, going to wipe my family out, going to wipe the, wipe the earth out. You see, anxious people need 
assurance. And that is exactly what God is going to give Noah and his family in these verses here in in chapter 9. He is going to make a promise to them to never destroy the earth again by a flood. And he's going to seal that promise uh, with a with a sign. Now, as we go through these verses here, I think there's about 10 verses, 8 through 17, it's going to seem very repetitious. Uh, in fact, I think he uses the word covenant, uh, how many times? Seven times in 10 verses. He's going he's gonna to use the phrase sign of the covenant, I think like five times in 10 verses. It's going to be very repetitious. But let's don't underestimate the value of repetition. Are, are you not repetitious with your children? How many, as parents, we say, I'm only going to say this one time, and then we say it 12 times. Right? I'm only going to say this one time, but then we say it 12 times. You see, we repeat things because we want our children not just to hear it, we want them to get it. We want it to become part of who they are, yes? Well, see, that's exactly what God is doing here. He's going to repeat Himself. He's going to repeat this assurance, not because he, He could have just said it one time, but He wants Noah to get it. He wants Noah to feel it down deep inside his heart. So he's going to repeat this over and over and over. And I just think that's, that's so, uh, so kind of God, so gracious of God to, to, to go and do that. So let's first look at the first few verses which describes to us the covenant. Look at verses 8 through 10. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. So he says, I'm going to establish this covenant with you. Okay, now a covenant is like a contract. It's an agreement. It's a promise. And he says, I'm going to establish this. Well, what is this covenant? Well, he explains it in verse 11. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all the flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. Now I want to point out four things about this covenant that God establishes with Noah and his family. Number one, this covenant is unilateral. It's unilateral. When when most of us think of a covenant nowadays... We normally think of something that's bilateral. The, 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 uh, the word by there means, of course, two. And so when we think of a covenant or a contract or an agreement, we think about something between two people, like a, a treaty between two countries or a contract between two businesses or, or between two people. And, and we, you know, we, we understand that. But this covenant that God makes is not bilateral. It's what we call unilateral. That means it's a covenant made by one person or one entity, in this case, God himself. See, God is making this covenant. He's not consulting Noah. He's not negotiating with with Noah. God is not saying, now Noah, if you guys do this, I'll do this. No, he just comes right out and says, behold, I, I established this, this covenant. So that's number one, it's unilateral. Number two, it is unconditional. It's unconditional. You see, a covenant can always be conditional, right? If you, if you sign a, if you, if you buy a house, right? And you, you sign, you go in and sign a bunch of papers. And, and most of us have no idea what those papers are we're signing because that we'd be there for three days reading them. But the fact is you're making certain promises. I will make a payment. And the mortgage company promises you something in return. There's always 
conditions back and forth. In the Bible, there are conditional covenants like the Mosaic Covenant. God promises Israel, if you will do certain things, then I will bless you. But if you do not do those things, then you will not be blessed. It is a conditional covenant. But this covenant that God makes with Noah is not conditional at all. It's what we call unconditional. It is not dependent on man or mankind or anybody else. It only depends on God. It's only depending on God's Word. In other words, man will not be, be able to do anything to break this covenant or invalidate this covenant. God is not saying, no, if you do this, then I'll do that. But if you don't do this, I won't. He doesn't do any of that. That's what, it is an absolutely unconditional covenant. And I want you to think about this for just a moment, because to me, this is pretty remarkable. As I said the last couple of weeks, God is, is not sticking his head in the sand. He is fully aware that Noah and his family are sinners. And they're going to produce little sinners who produce little sinners who produce little sinners. And eventually there's going to be billions of people, billions of little sinners running around on this earth. And in fact, God is fully aware, listen to me, that the people after the flood will be just as wicked as people before the flood. God is fully aware of that. Nevertheless, He places absolutely no conditions on this on this covenant. I mean, think about this for one second. Do you ever think, try to put yourself in God's place, what He thinks when He looks down today and sees the thing that, that He sees? How many, how many of you some mornings, I, I don't know about you, I get up and a lot of times I'll go catch the news real quick and on, I just usually pull up some websites and look at the headlines and, and I'll go down and scroll and see the things that are going on. How many of you sometimes read about the things that, that men, men and women do to each other and do with each other, and you almost feel overwhelmed with the evil. And the, How many of y'all feel that way sometimes? It's almost just a, a feeling, it overwhelms you how evil this... Now listen, if you and I feel that way, what do you think he feels? When he looks down at this creation, when he looks down at, at these people that he's created and that he loves, and he sees them engaging in the things that they engage in, the corruption of this planet and these people. See, God sees all that, just like we see it. Yet He put absolutely no conditions on that covenant. So He withholds His judgment day after day after day after day after day. And by the way, again, it's not that we don't deserve the wrath of God, because we do. But in spite of all that, God promises, I'm not going to destroy the earth with a flood, the way I did before. And he just lets man go on in his sin. A thousand years, two thousand years, three thousand years, four thousand years. It just goes on and on. It's not conditional. In this, this, this particular covenant, mankind can do anything they want to do, and God says, I will not flood the earth again. I'm not going to do it. It's not conditional whatsoever. Number three. This covenant is inviolable. Now, this is a word that we don't use very much anymore. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of explain it here in just a minute. We don't use this word here in the English language, inviolable, uh, anymore. But I want you to think about a couple of things. The idea of a covenant in our culture is very unfamiliar, right? We don't really, we use words like contracts, we use words uh, like agreements, we use words like promises, but we don't use the word covenant uh, very much at all. In fact, if I went to Win Dixie and I just took a, I, I asked a hundred people to tell me what a covenant is, 
my guess is the vast majority of them would be clueless as to what a, a covenant is. Again, today we sign contracts, we, we enter into agreements, we make promises, we, we uh, conduct transactions. But a covenant is different from all of those things. And I want to explain how. You see, a covenant has always been something that is bound up with someone's character. Let me say that again. A covenant is different from those other things, contracts, agreements, transactions, promises, because a covenant has always been bound up with someone's character. A covenant has always been dependent on someone keeping their word, keeping their promises. And in fact, we even say that. We talk about keeping covenant sometimes. You see, at covenants at one time were really the found. Today we got lawyers and we got the judicial system and we got all this legal stuff and we write all this stuff down and we sign all this stuff. But you see, in years past, they didn't have any of that. The foundational, really, of an agreement was a handshake. It was somebody's word. It was a covenant. You see, when you made a covenant with somebody, you bound yourself to keep that, keep your word. And that, when I say bound yourself, that depended on your character, your integrity, your reputation was all riding on the fact of whether you kept your word. It was all bound up in this idea of a, of a covenant. Now that's not true anymore, is it? And in fact, it's gone completely the other way. Nobody seems to keep their promises anymore. I, 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 how many, we've all got insurance, right? Just try to make a claim. Try to make a claim. And they will find every loophole, every way they can not to keep their promise to you. That's, it's almost like it's a way of doing business now. It's just almost accepted. Athletes will sign a contract for a certain amount of money in a certain amount of years, and halfway through the contract, they'll decide, I'm not getting paid enough, so they just won't show up for work. They signed a contract. doesn't mean anything. Nobody, it's almost like this, this game people play. How do we get out of these things? Let's find the loopholes. That goes all, all the time in our society. And we move further and further and further away from this idea of covenant. In fact, think about it this way. About the only place, about the only place we even use the word covenant anymore is in where? The marriage ceremony. We talk about a covenant between a husband and a wife. Now, this leads us to something that I think is very interesting. In fact, whenever you talk about covenants, you will always find the word faithful pop up. Whenever you use the word covenant, you'll find the word faithful tied very close to this. For example, in the covenant of marriage... We talk about a faithful husband and a faithful wife. You don't really, you don't hear he's a faithful businessman, do you? You don't hear that. That you don't. They're a faithful company. You don't hear that. We talk about faithful husbands and faithful wives because of the fact we 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 understand they've entered into a a covenant. And how does a husband prove he's faithful? He proves he's faithful by sticking to the covenant. How does a wife prove that she's a faithful wife? By abiding by the covenant, by keeping her word, by not violating the covenant. So, so this idea of faithful and covenant are very, very closely tied to one another. And that's why when you go through the Old Testament, one of the attributes of God that you'll see brought up over and over and over again 
is that God is faithful. And he proves, listen, how do we know he's faithful? Because he keeps his covenants. That's what proves, just the way a, just the way a, a husband keeping his uh, covenant with his wife proves he's faithful, God proves he's faithful by keeping his covenant. Deuteronomy 7, 9 says this, Know therefore that the Lord your God, He is God, the faithful God who keeps His covenant. In other words, why do we know, how do we know God is faithful? Because He keeps His covenant. Never breaks His, never breaks His word. Always keeps His, His promises. Here's the point. Faithful men and women always keep their covenants, and a faithful God always keeps His covenants. You see, when God makes a covenant, it's inviolable. And what that word means, it, it's incapable of being violated. It is secure, it is unbreakable, it is eternal, it is everlasting. It cannot be broken. Because here's why. Because if God broke that covenant, He would break His word. And if God broke His word, He would, he would uh, smear His integrity. And God will never, never, ever do anything that would mar his character. He cannot do that. God is always going to keep his word. God is always going to be faithful to his covenants. Therefore, his covenants are inviolable. They're incapable of being broken. Number four, uh, so we said three things about them, right? Uh, they are, it's unilateral, it's unconditional, uh, it's inviolable, and the fourth thing is they are universal and perpetual. Look at verse 12. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. First of all, God doesn't just make this covenant, by the way, with human beings. He makes it even with the animals and the planet. So therefore, it is universal. It is for, for every living thing. It applies to men and animals. So it's universal and it applies to all future generations, which means it's perpetual or it's repeating. Every generation that comes along, it just repeats itself. It's for, it, it'll never go away. Okay? So it's universal and perpetual. Now, let's turn to the sign of the covenant. I was doing a little bit, we all know, by the way, that the sign of the covenant is what? It's a rainbow. We all know that. We don't have to, you know, we don't have to do a big technical lesson on that. So I was looking up the rainbow and I thought I, there was a few did you knows that I didn't know about rainbows and I thought that I would, uh, would, would point this out. Did you know that you can only see a rainbow if the sun is behind you? You can't, if, if the sun, if you're facing the sun, you'll never see a rainbow. It's got to be behind you. Uh, the sunlight has to strike, what, a rainbow is created when sunlight strikes water droplets in the air and the light is refracted, and I don't understand any of that stuff, how all that works. But what we do know is the sunlight has to strike the, the water droplets at a precise angle of 42 degrees in order to create a rainbow. And a rainbow is an optical illusion, which means it doesn't actually exist in, in, in a certain time, in a certain space. Like if you try to get closer to the rainbow, it'll just move. It's, it's, in, it's a certain distance from your vision, so as you move closer to it, it'll just move. It's just an optical illusion. So for those of you that are still looking for the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, you're never going to find it. Just put that, out of your, uh, put that out of your mind. Rainbows, and I did not know this. I don't know how I didn't know this. But rainbows are actually full circles. And we only see what's above the horizon. And in fact, in certain times, and there's pictures of this on the internet if you want to go find it, if you get in an airplane 
and you get it just the right spot, you can actually see the full circle of a rainbow if you can see over the horizon, which is an amazing thing. Now, that's all really interesting, and the more you read about it, I'm one of those people, I start reading, I don't know if y'all like me, I start reading and I just keep going, going, going. Um, but it's like, you know, the way I look at it is like this. I can read all the science on a rainbow, and it's all interesting, but it's kind of like doing a chemical analysis of banana pudding. At the end of the day, I don't care what's in banana pudding because it just tastes good, right? Just enjoy the banana pudding. Don't tell me about all the chemicals and ingredients. Let's just eat the banana pudding. Same thing with the rainbow. We can explain a rainbow. It's a reflection of light and the angles and all this and that and the other. But listen, let's set that aside and remember what the rainbow is all about. First of all, it's one of the most beautiful things that nature can, can create. We were out on the boat yesterday and I just happened to be, water was spraying up from the boat and I looked over and there was a little rainbow right on the side of the boat just created. You know, just enjoy it when you see it, but also never forget what it's all about. And that is God is faithful to his promises. God, every time we see a rainbow, it's like being painted in the sky. God is faithful. God is faithful. You should never forget that. Let's go read verses 12 through 13. And God said, This is a sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Now, some of you may be using a translation like NIV, I believe, that says, I set my rainbow in the cloud. That is not what the original Hebrew says. At that time, there, we, we call it a rainbow. God didn't call it a rainbow. God called it a bow. The word in the original Hebrew is literally bow, like a bow and arrow. In fact, it's the exact same word in the Hebrew, keshethen, which is a bow and arrow. It's a battle bow. It's the idea of a bow that, that's used in battle. Now, in the Old Testament, God is sometimes refi- re, re, uh, referred to as a warrior with a bow. For example, Exodus 15.3, the Lord is a warrior. Habakkuk 3.9, his bow is made bare. Zechariah 9.14, his arrows are lightning. So the idea is that God has a bow, right? And God uses it to bring his wrath. So what's happening here, the bow is a symbol of God's wrath, which has just occurred with the flood, right? It's almost like God is saying, I'm hanging up my bow. I'm setting my bow. I'm stepping back from the wrath. I'm stepping back from the judgment, and I'm hanging my bow up. That symbol of wrath and destruction and judgment, I'm hanging it up. And I'm going to put it up in the sky where every single person can see it. And and it's so appropriate that it appears after the rain. You see, the rain comes today just like it did with Noah. But today, the rain always stops, doesn't it? It may last for a few days, but we all know it's going to stop. It's going to abate. It's eventually going to go away. And when it does, that rainbow appears. You see, the same water which destroyed the earth now creates the rainbow. And coming at the end of the storm, it it always shows that the storm of God's wrath has passed. There's nothing for us to fear from the rain. Now, we don't think too much about that. But let me tell you, for Noah, that was huge. For him and his family and his grandchildren and people that were close to that event, that was a huge deal 
to know that God is not going to do this anymore. So the next time you see a rainbow, remember, that's God's bow. He hung it up because this is no longer a time of judgment. It is a time of mercy. It is a time of grace. And it is a time of peace. And, the, and that bow in the sky is the sign of God's promise of that very uh, thing. Every time we see a rainbow, it needs to remind us of, the, of the, um, the victory of grace over judgment. Listen, what does the world deserve today? It deserves wrath. It deserves judgment. What do they get? Grace. They got it yesterday. So far, they're getting it again today. We'll get maybe tomorrow. You know what I'm saying? It just goes on and on. And that rainbow says, God says, I'm, I'm not going to do that anymore. Finally, let's turn to the assurance. Verses 14 to 17. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, and the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Listen, does God need visual reminders? No. No, God doesn't need visual reminders. He's not saying, hey, I put it up there to remind me not to destroy you, you know, to do that anymore. No. It's His way of telling us that He doesn't forget. It's more for us than it really is for Him. It's to remind us that God is faithful. And and listen, He hasn't forgotten for over 4,000 years. 4,000 years have gone by, and the world's just got more wicked and more wicked and more wicked, and God has not forgotten His, his promises. Now, I wanted to close this morning with an application. It, it, you know, often I like to do that. What, what does this mean to us? What does it mean to us? I mentioned earlier when we first started that this passage may seem repetitious. And if you go back and you read the whole thing, you'll see he uses the word covenant, he uses the word sign of the covenant, just almost several times. And again, God is repeating to Noah, look, I'm doing this, Noah. I'm making this covenant. This got nothing to do with you. It's got nothing to do with, I'm not dependent on you for anything. You can't break this covenant. He just repeats that over and over and, and over. And again, as we said, God wants Noah to feel assurance. God, He doesn't want Noah to go, go through life with all this anxiety every time he feels a, feels a raindrop. But I want you to notice, now notice this, this is important, what Noah's assurance has to be based on. Not his feelings, but God's Word. Let me say that again, because that is so critical. Because I'm going to tell you, Christians today, more than not, tend to live on feelings. We tend to go by how we feel today. And see, Noah, If listen, if you'd have gone by how Noah felt, it, he would have just lived in constant fear. Because listen, that was a traumatic event that he went through. Far more traumatic, by the way, than anything that we've ever endured. So God says, I'm making this promise to you, Noah, and, and I want you to feel this assurance, not because of something you feel, but feel it because it, it's my word. Stand on my word. I am God. I am making this promise to you. And it is, it is a unilateral promise, an unconditional promise, an inviolable promise, and a, a repeating and universal promise. Remember those things, but feel it because of my word, not because of something, uh, how, you certain, you know, how you feel that day. Listen, as I said earlier, I'm sure every time Noah heard the thunder, he got nervous. Would you? 
I mean, I'm sure he would. So how does he combat that? Well, what he does, he recalls God's word. He recalls God's covenant. He recalls God's faithfulness. That's how he combats it, because he had the promises sitting right there that God told me he wouldn't do this. And the anxiety and the nervousness would, would abate. Now listen, here's the application. Just like Noah, there are times in our life where we need assurance. Yes or no? There's times in our life... Listen, there are... Let me just tell you some... Be real honest with you. There are days I get up and I, I no more feel like a Christian than nothing. There are days that I get up and I wonder how in the world could God ever accept somebody like me. There are other days I get up and feel on top of the world. Boy, I'm the best Christian there is. Ain't y'all like that? It's, it's just, that's just human nature. It's all, it's all feelings. There are times when we don't feel like a new creation. There are times when we don't feel like a Christian. We don't feel accepted by God. It's all feelings, feelings, feelings. And see, during those times, you're going to... Listen, if you go through a, a day or a few days where you're not feeling like a Christian, and, and the enemy will sit on you and say, Boy, you, you're, a, you're a sinner. you got real problems. God's going to... And all of a sudden, now you're thinking about the judgment of God. Am I really saved? Everybody with me? You, you let your mind go down that road. And you'll just... Man, it'll, it'll take you... You, can, you have to stop it. You have to combat that. See, God wants us to feel assurance. He wants us to know. Listen to this scripture, 1 John 5, 31. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may, what? Know. Not feel that you have eternal life. Not just hope that you have eternal life. That you may know you have eternal life. So what I do when I start feeling that way, I combat it with the Word of God. And that's what we all should do. When you start feeling, not, I'm not really a Christian, I don't really feel this, I don't, then you go to the Word of God and you combat the enemy with the Word of God. So what I thought I would do this morning, before I, before, as we close here, is I thought I would finish up with a few of my favorite scriptures. Scriptures that I just have marked and I go to them over and over and over and over again. Because you see, God wants us to know He wants us to get that we have been delivered from the wrath of God. And He wants this assurance, this knowledge, not to be based on feelings, but to be based on His Word, the eternal, sure Word of God who cannot lie and who cannot fail. So here's a few of my favorites, and I'll just read these for you. You know, listen, by the way, I love teaching, and I think teaching is biblical. But I'm telling you, there's nothing that can replace just reading the Word of God. I there's just something about reading these scriptures that will do something to you if you're a Christian on the inside. It will, it will just build you up. It will edify you. It will empower you. And these are the ones that I go to. John 6, 39 through 40. This is Jesus speaking and He says this. And this is the will of Him who sent me. You want to know what the will of God is? This is the will of Him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that He's given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. John 10, 27-29, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, 
and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Romans 5.1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8.1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.31-33, to What do we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? For He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not with Him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? The answer to that is nobody. Because it is God who justifies. Ephesians 2 more. Ephesians 1, 13-14. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed, man, I like this, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of your inheritance. God, when God guarantees something, let me tell you, it's inviolable. It's incapable of being broken. It is a guarantee. When He gave you the Holy Spirit, it was like Him putting His stamp on you, His seal on you. It is the guarantee of your inheritance. It is going to happen. And finally, Hebrews 6, actually i got a couple more. Hebrews 6, 19-20, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. You know what's behind the curtain? It's the mercy seat. And He went in there for us. He did that. He's done all that. He's the sacrifice. And He did that on my behalf. Finally, one of my favorite scriptures in all the Bible, 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. According, when I don't feel like a Christian, when I just need some assurance, when I just need to be built up, this is where I go. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5, according to His great mercy, Derek, He has caused you to be born again. He did that, Derek. You didn't do it. It wasn't you. You didn't just wake up one day and think, wow, you know, I need to get this stuff right with God. No, He did that. He caused you to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. And how do I know I'm going to get it? Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You know, when I go to that, it always tells me, Son, I made you be born again. I caused that to happen And not only did I cause it to happen, I'm guarding you every step of the way. I got my arms around you. I'm watching. I'm making sure. Yeah, those things will come and they'll try to pull you and feelings will change day to day. But I got my arms around you. I'm watching you. I'm guarding you all the way to the end. It's a guarantee that you're going to make it. How do you read those scriptures and not come out of that not feeling better? It changes your feelings. It's not about feelings. Pastor Henry says that all the time. It's about the Word of God. Man, I'd much rather feel better than worse, wouldn't you? The Word of God can do that. Next week, we'll turn to... Listen, I've been wanting to get to this one for several weeks now. I've been reading ahead, and next week's lesson is one that I have looked forward to for a a long time. Uh, And that is the sin of a good man. That's the last verses in Genesis 9, 18-28. We all know about Noah's sin. And I'm going to tell you, for a long time, that that bothered me to no end. 
Um, but it's, but I, but it's, it still bothers me, but my viewpoint of it has changed, and I've been looking forward to teaching next week's lesson. So next week, the sin of a good man, uh, Genesis 9, 18 through 28. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, as we always do, um, for your word. We thank you for the rainbow. Um, and I pray as we walk out of here today and we see a rainbow in the next few days or the weeks, whenever the time comes, that that rainbow will have big flashing letters on it for us that God is faithful. God is faithful. You are a faithful God. You keep your covenants. God, help us, help us to be faithful men and women who keep our covenants. But God, even as I say that, I know that we're just weak. We're just dirt. We are so incapable. But you love us so much. And I just thank you that I serve an awesome, holy and faithful God. Father, I pray today as we come into this service and your word is preached, that you'll be faithful to your word, that somehow, somewhere today, that you'll open the hearts of a blind man and a blind woman and let them see your son Jesus for who he really is. And they'll never, ever be the same. We thank you for all you do in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all.